show happy to have you here andrew cap you guys i met andrew through my friend john sadowski he's already been on the pod you guys heard him talk um, a little bit about law of attraction and money mindset and visualization and uh, we talked a bit about social media marketing and how that all relates to andrew is that andrew actually (laughs) knew john before i knew andrew John and Andrew did a podcast episode on Andrew's show, and that is what John sent me to show me that he had done an interview before and he could definitely do another. And you guys know he nailed it. And after watching that interview with Andrew, I wanted to meet him. And then I started growing my speaking career and asking John, like, you know, if you have any tips, you know, he's a smart dude, really, I feel like I can learn from anyone. Like, can you give me some tips on how to grow the speaking career, how to get on other people's podcasts? And he was like, well, I just have to connect you with Andrew because that is what he does. And you guys, his story on how he sold 100,000 books and counting is so fascinating that I had to bring him on the show. Andrew's written two books now, and his most recent book just launched. And I'm going to hand over the floor to him, and you guys are going to love this conversation. Yeah, well, man, first of all, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to where the conversation is going to go. Just to, I guess, to, to preemptively um, answer a couple of the, you know, first questions that might pop up and get the audience caught up. For anyone wondering, um, Madeline, like you just said, I, I've got a new book out called uh, Three Words I Used to Sell 100,000 Books. But a lot of people ask, like, hey, Andrew, well, that's nice and everything, but what is the book that you sold 100,000 copies of? Um, and the answer to that is a book called The Last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. Um, kind of singling you know circling back to um you know how john and you were talking about law of attraction that's how i kind of connected with john about that topic and it was an interesting thing because you know as i've been marketing that book mostly organically for the past two and a half years um you know it was one of those things where i was doing a lot of different things that i would hope would, would have made sense as a marketer just in terms of getting awareness one of which was every time the book was doing better um, I would just announce it like, okay, we've sold 40,000 copies. We sold 50,000 copies. Figured if people keep seeing that it's selling, they might want to check out the party themselves. And as I'm going through this process, a bunch of my friends are like, hey, Andrew, how are you selling all these books? So I'm getting on calls with friends and I'm explaining the process over and over, at least my process, because it's a process, not the process. And um, it got to a point where I didn't want to charge my friends or anything, but I couldn't keep popping on a million different calls. So I'm like, you know what, Andrew, you are an author. Maybe you should just put your your mouth where your money where your mouth is and just write a book and put this out there. So that's pretty much, you know, where we got to where we are now, where I'm like, okay, let me just write this. It's called three words I use to sell hundred thousand books. And hopefully so far it's it's been getting good feedback, but hopefully it's there to show nonfiction authors specifically 
how they can go about connecting, not just with any readers, but readers that ideally would be interested in whatever it is that they are writing to serve them with. Yeah, and that's the key, right? That's so powerful. And uh, you mentioned to me that the book is $4 on Kindle. So if people are asking you these questions, it's very easy to get. It still requires you to take action, which is amazing. I mean, how much free stuff do you guys have sitting in your email inbox? Coupons you signed up for and free PDF downloads that you're never going to see. But $4, it's energy. It doesn't matter that it's not $100. It doesn't matter that it's not 50 cents. It is energy. And by like me right here interviewing you, I'm putting energy towards this conversation. And we're going to glean so much from you, Andrew, and hopefully you sell a few books out of it. Um, but I know that you're here for more than that. And I do really appreciate you for that. <laughs> yeah, happy to be here. And, you know, again, whether it's Kindle or paperback or hardcover or audiobook, what one thing, and this is one of the many things I'm doing to sell 100,000 books is have as many formats available because you never know what format one person will specifically want. So a little, even though you didn't ask me, a little tip to people out there that might be writing a book or putting it out, go through the trouble of either recording yourself or hiring someone else to record the audiobook because that will get you a lot of mileage and connect with you with readers you otherwise would not have found because you most people would be surprised to hear how many people actually like to listen to books on audio and never want to read any. It's, it's a very fascinating thing. Yeah, I wonder what, I mean, you can never t take a stat that includes everyone in the world, um, but I know me, myself, and I listen to way more books than I read. However, I still buy books. I just collect them, <laughs> and they're pretty, and they sit on the shelf, and I prefer hardcover, but I actually will listen to the audio. I'll buy the hardcover, and I won't read it. Who else can <laughs> agrees with that? I know, I know there's people on the other side that are like, yep, that's me too. <laughs> Um, so the first thing that jumped out to me that I thought was really interesting, so we have some coaches and service industry workers and uh, CEOs uh, listening to this show, is that people were asking you a bunch of questions, and you found yourself answering the same question over and over again. And so you decided to take action and create something to save you some time, make you some money, and give the people what they wanted by writing another book. Um, and I also noticed you doing this before we even hopped on our, our intro call where we got to know each other off this podcast, uh, you had sent me a couple of freebies that you had created for the book. And it almost seemed like things that maybe people also had been asking you, like, how do you get featured on podcasts? And you're like, well, I have this one page. So why don't I make how to create a one page as a freebie? I'm, I'm just guessing. Um, but I know the coaches and the business owners that I work with, when I find them having to repeat themselves multiple times with their new client onboarding or client offboarding, I'll say, make a video. Do, do something so that you can just send a link and you don't have to send your whole story to people over and over again. And that is exactly what you did with this book, which is so brilliant. Well, thank you. And, you know, it, it's interesting because you're giving, obviously, an, an insightful perspective on, on the value of these videos that I, I made. And it's funny because <clears throat> there were many motivations to making the videos, one of which was I, there was so much that I wanted to communicate in the book, but one thing that a lot of people don't think, especially, you know, when they're writing that, that book that they're, I mean, for me, it wasn't the only book I was going to write, but people want to say, okay, this is the book that's going to define me. So sometimes people will overshare or overstuff information in a way that makes it cumbersome for the reader to actually consume. And the purpose of the videos was, was, was a couple fold. One of it was, was like, listen, the things I'm sharing in the video would be too tedious and cumbersome to read because 
you know, for example, one of the videos, which I don't think I shared this one with you, but one of the bonuses is I explained my process for designing my cover for the book, which is including drafts that didn't make the cut and why I made these decisions, human psychology, things like that. I could have put it in the book, but people would have been flipping back and forth between pages. They wouldn't have actually enjoyed the process versus a video where they can hear my voice while looking at the images, which is another fancy way of saying there are things you can accomplish outside the confines of a book that you just can't within it. So like, okay, what, what, how do, wouldn't it be wonderful if I can stack all this extra value on top of what people already think they're getting in the book, which not only incentivizes them to opt into a list where I can connect with them more, but also really lays on that level of value so that they would ideally hopefully be more likely to recommend my book to other people with the same issue. Because there's a social currency issue to this. When someone vouches for you on something, they're they're actually they're putting themselves out there, but they're also looking to take the credit. Like if you give someone like, oh, here's a money-making program or a fitness program or something, you want it to work not only because you want to help them, but because you as the friend will look good. It's social currency. So for me, I kind of have that in my mind. What can I do to the book and all the extras to actually make it social currency if people were to recommend it and really make sure everyone walks away happy, no matter who says it to, no matter who recommends they should get it or not? Yeah, and that really touches on organic marketing, right? Because you're using organic marketing strategies mainly to, or m the majority of, to sell this this book now, m multiple books. And what I have noticed, which I didn't, I didn't really fully understand when I got into business, even though referral marketing is how I was making the most of my most of my money. Most of my clients came with me through word of mouth. Um, but really, it hit home this year that like, wow, nothing can spread faster than word of mouth. Then, and that includes people sharing stuff like on social media. And it even works in the algorithm. Like if you're going to look at your Instagram and the likes don't really matter. Comments though will boost you in the algorithm. But what boosts you in the algorithm even more are shares and saves. And so it's real people thinking that what, what you have holds so much value that they want to send it to someone. Um, I mean, that's also how like TED, TED Talks work, right? Like your TED Talk's only going to go viral on YouTube if people are constantly sending it to each other. That actually creates exponential reach because one person sends it to two people and then those two people each send it to three people. Or even if those two people only send it to two people, you guys see how that can spider web out incredibly fast. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about it is it's an intangible. So... When when you're kind of, it's so much easier, I mean, if you're a numbers person, to kind of look at the things that give you the solid numbers and give you clear results. And it's tempting to ignore these intangibles because sometimes you don't even know if they're making an impact or not. Or if they are, what kind of impact or or how extreme. Like for me, I, um, again, I say I have a mostly organic process. I'll also advertise on Amazon ads. But um, because I'm admittedly not as dialed in with those ads as I should be because I'm so busy, I technically lose money on those. But my perspective is hopefully I've done a good enough job with the books where those sales that I see come in on the front end actually lead to things to, to other sales afterwards that the database won't reflect because those people who bought on the sale recommendation would then recommend to their friends. And mm. Mm. I figured, you know, obviously – that's a risky thing business-wise, you know, just hoping that people recommend it. But it also is a great way of ensuring that you make sure that your book is good, having that in your mind as you're crafting it to begin with. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So the way your ads are working so far, you haven't seen um, a net, net positive gain with that? Um, 
Well, I have in the past. It's one of those things where in the beginning I did it, but if you don't keep up with the keywords or the amounts of bids, it's like mm -hmm. a, it's like an outdated thing. So mm -hmm. if I start a new campaign, it's profitable. But if I leave it alone and I just leave the you know the settings the way they are, eventually they kind of run their course and you're losing money. So it's it's never a non profitable thing. But with everything I have on my plate, it's one of those things where I don't pay enough attention to and lose more money on on the front end than I could or should just because I'm not paying close enough attention. Mm. Yeah, so we're going to mainly talk about organic marketing here, but I want to talk about ads just a little bit longer because what I have heard is that if you're going to spend money on advertising, at least through Instagram and Facebook, which is not Amazon, but maybe you looked into this, that you don't actually really start to make a profit until you're spending ten to $30,000 a month. What's What's your comment on that? Well, I haven't gotten to that amount personally yet, so I, I mean, I couldn't say for sure, but but I will say this. I mean, for something like that, it depends on a number of things. It depends on the price point. It depends on how much of a back end there is. It depends on how much you've really thought something out. Um, I, I would say this. It is very easy to lose money on the, uh, the front end of something um, when you're starting out because a part of it is getting dialed in and testing and, and things of that nature and really just getting a feel for, okay, you know, is this thing working? Do I have to shift a headline? Do I have to change something else? And it's always just something that you need to keep in mind. Yeah. And something else that I've heard that we could touch on is the ad is only going to amplify what's already happening with your organic marketing. Because if you have an ad and the ad isn't good, people aren't going to click the ad. Amazon, Facebook, Instagram, Google, whatever you're running your ad on, they're not making sure that your ad is great. They're not making sure that your lead capture is set up. They're just they're just running whatever it is you give them. And so what you give them has to already be working organically. Otherwise, that ad spend is just going to amplify what's already happening with your organic marketing. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. And it's it's one of those, the, the frustrating thing about all this, and, and this kind of goes to organic, is there's so many moving parts. And there's it becomes like the more moving parts you have, then the more things you have questions of what's dialed in and what isn't. So, you know, again, I, I always preach that whenever I adv give advice, it's it's a way and not the way. But I would always advise people to keep things as simple as possible, especially in the beginning, because it's better to have a strong foundation and know what's breaking or not breaking before you start building a house of cards on something. Hmm. Man, I'm almost feeling silly now having you on this podcast without reading your book first, you guys. Spoiler alert. I had Andrew on before I read the book. Um, so I'm going to be asking you questions like someone who has never read your book before. So, <laughs> Well, the, I, actually, it's it's kind of funny. It's a fun opportunity because um, as, as an interviewer, you don't need to have read the book. And in fact, it gives me the opportunity to maybe surprise you with a couple of things rather than it, hearing it for the second time. So, I mean, that that works. And Believe it or not, also, I mean, the point of the book is, and I'm kind of glad for this opportunity, is that the answers can come to somebody no matter how much background experience they have, whether it's independent marketing and business experience before getting to the book or even reading the book itself. So, uh, yeah, let's let's dive in even with that as um, an un, as a known quantity and see where we take the conversation. Okay. So you sold over 100,000 copies of the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need. We've talked about ads a little bit, but tell us about your organic marketing strategy to get to that figure. Yeah, well, oh, it's it's interesting because remember I'm here again. I was just saying, you know, make it simple, make sure everything's working. 
I do that, but I never stop, meaning I make this one thing as simple as working, but then I stack something on top of it and another thing on top of it and then another thing on top of it, meaning once I've got one piece working, I add another piece to the mix and move through. So let me give you an example of one thing that I did in the beginning that I mentioned in the book as what I hope is a, is a solid foundation, assuming anyone has the bandwidth to keep it up. Going out with, you know, with the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read, anyone that, that looks for that on Amazon will notice my name isn't even on the cover. Like, all you see is, like, the title. It's a very unique decision here. I'm not looking for credit, but it's another way of saying, like, as an author, I'm unknown at that point. My name on the cover would not have any value. Why waste that real estate with such a long title? Okay, well, that means, it's another way of saying, I have to find a way of getting my book in the hands of strangers that have never heard of me. So what do I do? Well... I go on Facebook, I find a bunch of law of attraction groups, and I value bomb them. That's what I call it, like, you know, dropping value bombs. And I basically answer law of attraction questions that other authors, in my opinion, are scared to tackle, or I answer questions that most people don't think of, or I teach new manifesting methods. I do all these things to bring value to these groups that no one's seen before. And some of these groups have 50,000 people, some of them have 2,000 people, who knows? But... I'm sure people here not saying, well, Andrew, that's nice and everything, but we know how Facebook groups work. If you go and you post and then you say, by the way, here's my book or here's my link, you're going to get kicked out of the group. But the thing is, I never thought about um, you know, dropping a link or saying what I did. What instead I did was I dropped this insane amount of value to the point where people were curious, like, who the hell is this guy? Click on my profile, and now we're in my zone. We're now on my profile where I can put my book cover and massive graphics behind my profile photo. We're at a point where with one, within one second of getting on that profile, people know what I do. They can scroll through and see the five-star reviews that were left on Amazon. They can see, you know, friends' recommendations. They can see basically see like a walking billboard that I constructed on my Facebook profile after giving all this free value in these groups themselves without ever giving anyone a reason to kick me out of the group or doing anything like that. And P.S., a lot of times I needed to come up with new content because I wrote the content in my book. All I had to do was repurpose the content that I already put myself in the effort of going through, only worded in a way that would fit more into Facebook groups or social media posts. Mm, yeah, so that's the beauty of writing a book right there. I love that you use Facebook groups. I mean, that's that's so that's so smart. And it's and you, I don't think you you were never a life coach necessarily, were you? No, no. no I, I've never gone down that road, which. I guess, you know, obviously, whether you have or have not probably affects your writing style and how you go about things. And I'll say this. I'm not sure if that's where you're taking the question, but the posts are not written from the standpoint of, like, this is my way and I know the way and do it. It's more written from the standpoint of, I'm going to shift your paradigm. And it's not something that, that, like, I'm deciding. I'm giving you the opportunity to make a decision and make an informed choice, an informed understanding based on the information I'm laying out. In other words... I'm giving you the letters, and I'm showing you how to spell a few words, and from there, you can spell all sorts of new words or come up with new spellings of words based on this foundation of information that I've explained in hopefully a more unique, user-friendly way. Yeah. So just to summarize for you guys, Andrew went into these Facebook groups, which if you are new to Facebook and Facebook group marketing, you can go pay to be in big Facebook groups and promote links to the people in that group. That group would have been created by someone else, sometimes for the sole purpose of growing a group to then have people pay to promote in the group. So basically, these are cold 
leads, um, sometimes cold free leads. If you're doing what Andrew is doing, which is going into a group um, or getting on other people's podcasts and just value bombing. And then the people right there who are actually interested are going to go and click on Andrew's profile. They're going to go and look in the show notes and click the link. And now they're in Andrew's world. Now they can sign up for um, his email marketing service, whatever, whatever that's like. I don't think I'm on your email marketing yet. Um, but whatever it means to be in Andrew's world, that would be considered like lead capture. So if you've done business coaching with me, lead capture is when people come into your world, they might not be ready to buy from you right then, but how can you um, have some sort of energy exchange where you get their email address in exchange for something? Um, and then that allows the conversation to keep rolling. And he really qualified the leads, though, by not paying to be in these groups and link dropping. Instead, he's going in. And I asked you if you were a coach because I tell coaches to do this. Go into Facebook groups with your ideal clients and answer people's questions. You don't have to go and answer 20 questions at a time and like everyone's comments. Like, Go and thoughtfully answer one or two questions a day or a couple times a week, and that is going to bring so many people in. You'd be surprised how many people are going to then comment on your comment on someone else's comment in a Facebook group thread. So hopefully this isn't too out there for those that are listening that aren't super into marketing yet, but that is probably my favorite thing about Facebook are the groups. And so that was one way that Andrew was able to drive traffic to his world. So Andrew, how, other than buying the book, how are you doing your, your lead generation? How are you capturing those leads and nurturing them? Well, uh, here's the interesting thing, because I, if someone, to, if someone wanted to hire me, me personally, in my specific situation, if someone wanted to hire me as a marketing consultant or whatever you might want to call it, I don't have a sales page set. It's basically, it has to be like special request, request. Meaning the only thing I have to offer these days, me personally, I don't serve clients, I serve customers, are the books that I write. So for me, you know, lead capture is a bit of a different scenario where all I'm personally doing is I'm moving people toward my book through value I give. And in addition to Facebook, everyone's actually listening to a live demonstration right now. I mean, here I had this, what I think, and from my base, my experience, is a very powerful tool for selling on social media, which is in my book that you would normally not have to pay for that I gave away for free. What I'm doing is I'm demonstrating the value of my knowledge where, and you know me, if, if you don't buy my book, that's fine, but it is with the understanding that certain people might hear, it's like, okay, Andrew obviously knows what he's talking about. Maybe I am curious enough to at least go on the Amazon listing and read the free preview. At least read the reviews. At least read the book description. Hey, you know what? Maybe check out this Law of Attraction book that doesn't have anything to do with the business that I'm interested in. But I wonder, like, what is a book that sells independently 100,000 copies? What does that even look like? What does that read like? All this is a possibility that might come into play simply by the fact that I'm doing my best without caring about the specific result of giving value to whoever might be listening in this specific situation. Okay, so buying the book is the only way for you to know who's been on your website, on your Facebook page. There's no like sign up for my email list sort of lead capture. Uh, right. So there. There is a way. So basically, there is an opt-in list where even though I'm not selling something specific, but it all comes from reading the book, meaning the way I will personally um, you know, invite people into my world is if you read my book and if the content resonates and if it genuinely helps you, I'm like, well, if this helps you, here's some free bonuses like the videos that we were talking about at the beginning of the interview, where if you opt in, 
you got these bonuses. And by the way, I might email you. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you buy three words I used to sell 100,000 books and you opt into free bonuses, you're probably only going to get emails for like a daily email for about a week because I haven't built that out yet. And I don't even know. And I say this in the book. I don't know if I'm ever going to build out that piece. However, if you're a law of attraction reader and you opt into the really awesome bonuses I put together for that book, right now it's set so that because I built this over time, you'll get daily consecutive days of value for about 60 days, 60 consecutive days of emails, where maybe I'm sharing a YouTube video that I did. Maybe I'm sharing a video that somebody else did. Maybe I'm just giving you a little blurb, a little quote for the day, but I have that going on. And I do have um, a 90-day program that I'll offer in that process also. But and, and by the way, don't take my advice because I'm not really hardcore on the selling. It's not something that I shove down people's throats for 60 days. I'll tell them about it for the first few days. And then maybe they'll hear about it in a YouTube video. They'll make a decision on their own as to whether they want it or not. Yeah, I don't think that's a very good sales tactic anyways to tell someone to buy something for 60 days. <laughs> exactly. But, exactly. It's like, you know, 52 or 54 of those days or don't even mention it. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Well, that's what I really liked about you when we had our conversation. I was like, okay, this is this is a man exhibiting really great balance, like masculine and feminine energetics when it comes to sales and marketing. And I was surprised by that. And I really appreciated that. And that's the main reason why I wanted you on this show is because that that pushy, like, let's sell something for 60 days to the person, throw, shove it down their throats and 60 emails, like, that does exist. There are a lot of different companies where if you sign up and buy something, whether it's a service or a product, you are going to get blasted to the point of, like, I need to unsubscribe and never hear about this again. Or, okay, I'm in. I'm going to buy it. And, like, your heart's fluttering and you almost feel like if you don't buy it, like, you're going to be a failure at life because they just annihilated you with pain point marketing, which is not the only way to sell things like I actually envision pain point marketing and uh, like what's a good word for it um, who you who you're gonna be marketing desire based marketing as two separate ends of a rainbow like sure you can talk to someone about their pain points you can tell them and re actually remind them of all the things that are going wrong in their life and then hey I have this thing that'll make everything better just follow me over the rainbow and you'll get to your desires or you still are the rainbow you're the bridge but you're speaking to their desires. You're speaking to who they're becoming. You're speaking to the person at the other end of that rainbow. And yes, obviously you're the bridge to get them there because you're in their head. Like you, you of course know where they've been. Otherwise, how would you know what they desire? And it's just, it's this whole new paradigm of like feminine leadership and women in business, I think, which is where I'm, I'm really seeing this desire-based marketing and it works because when someone is stuck in their shit, for lack of better words, when you keep talking about them being there, they're going to be someone that buys out of fear. They're going to request a refund because they're not going to show up and do the work. I guess I'm talking about like coaching programs now. But if you are talking to someone like and specifically talking about their desires, who they get to be, the leader they get to become... You now then are talking to the version of themselves that are ready to take action. You're now talking to the version of this person that is going to hold themselves accountable, that's going to show up and do their end of the work. And the, the entire relationship with this customer now, this real human, becomes so beautiful. And, and the decision to buy isn't rooted in fear. It's, it's rooted in, in desire and faith and trust. It's just so much juicier. Yeah, and you know... It's interesting because one thing to take into account that a lot of people don't consider because they're only thinking about the sales process and bring money in, and you should. I mean, we have to pay the bills, right? 
But you also have to think about like, what is sustainable? And I don't just mean sustainable for your business, but I mean sustainable for your psyche. Like for example, one thing that, that really works for me personally, because, and you know, this is just projection, I'm making this assumption, um, but because I care so much about giving value, even when the value's free, if I'm having like a down day or I'm a bit tired or a bit sluggish, I can always count on an email coming in where someone like literally said like your law of attraction book changed my life. And like the, the stories that I get are, they're, they're, they're unbelievable. Like I had one person, she, she hid this comment. She didn't leave an Amazon review and she didn't email me. She left it in an old YouTube video that I'd done months before where she mentioned how she'd been trying to have a baby for eight years and, you know, um, I think IVF, I'm not that, that's the process. She tried all these things, spent all this money. And by the way, I'm not taking credit for this, but she's assigning credit where she said she got the book in January, did the methods, and two months later in March, she was finally pregnant after eight years. Now, I don't believe the book did that for her, but what I do believe that the book did was help her give herself permission and open the floodgates so that she can move forward in whatever way she did. Just the fact that she got any little hint of positivity from me is something that would have sustained me even on the most challenging day. And I remember that week was actually a very challenging week because a million things were happening. Now, the reason I give this story and the reason I say that is because when you're engaging in a process of win-win with your customers and it isn't fear-based and it isn't stress-based, it's more of a thing where your content and your products and your services will fuel them, but they in turn will fuel you. And by the way, this doesn't have to be an inspirational product we're talking about. This could be a phone app. This could be, you know, a marketing tool. I mean, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be this big thing where people like my life was changed um, because I got out of this bad relationship. It could literally be like, you know, my business was having this struggle and I made this shift and now things are better. It could be anything. Yeah, I mean, just I've spent a lot of time thinking about what brings me joy. And I want you guys to spend time thinking about that, too, because joy gets to be what you get in life. And it's not what you're going to have all the time. Like, hopefully, contentment is where you sit normally. And then you also get the joy. And then you also have the lulls so that you appreciate the joy. Um, but for me, when I've really had to think about what makes me happy, how do I want to spend my time in life, it all boils down to selfishly me feeling good when I make other people feel good. Now, it's not that I'm some martyr, like I just want to make everyone else feel good because that's that's different than what I'm saying. What I'm saying here is I love when other people come at me and they're like, Madeline, this one thing that you said that one time or, hey, I was thinking about you and I just smiled, like that makes me feel so good. And that's a feeling that I want to have more of is me feeling really good. And I realized that, wow, when I make other people feel good, I feel good. So how can I formulate my life? How can I spend my time in a way that doesn't suck, maybe brings me a bit of joy and then can also bring other people a lot of joy so that in turn, I can feel more joy. Yes, I'm admitting I am selfish. Most of the things I do are to make myself feel good. And I'm going to assume that you guys are actually all the same way if you really break it down. But the difference here is that I don't even know if I can really word this pro properly because I've only really thought about this a lot. Um, but when, when we fill ourselves up and when we feel good and we find the things that make ourselves feel good, we are just a better contributor to society and it makes the world go around and you start to attract 
I don't know if this is law of attraction or, or what, but like you start to magnetize in more joy and more beauty in your life. Sometimes that can boomerang for sure. And you get these things that happen that are just crazy life lessons that you kind of wish you could have learned in a way that wasn't so difficult. But a lot of the time when you, when you live this way by seeing how you can fill yourself up and like moms, I'm talking to you, hustle mentality, business people, I'm talking to you instead of just grinding, doing everything for everyone else, everything for your business, take time and figure out what you really need and you will automatically become more of a giver. It's, it's amazing how it works, but we've really got to break it down to like, what, what do you need to be full? Cause you just, you cannot give from an empty cup. It's at least not well. Yeah. And you know, there's a stigma of, you know, selfish means bad, but I, my, for my point of view, selfish is only bad when you're harming somebody else, especially when you're harming someone else intentionally. But if you could leverage your selfish nature, and I mean, not you, Madeline, but anyone listening, myself included, if we, leverage our selfish nature to create wins for others there's a way to be selfishly selfless and madeline just like you were saying like if if being selfless makes you feel good selfishly makes you feel good what is wrong with that because it's i think part of that i believe the reason that we feel good in helping others is because it's a built-in rate you know the human race survival mechanism normally healthy functioning human beings want to help people inherently because we understand that when we help each other, it increases our survivability and our level of happiness and fulfillment. So it's it's a part of your human nature. It is my recommendation, kind of what you're saying, lean into that. If, if it selfishly feels good, fine. Oh my God, if I'm really selfish and because I helped this person turn their business around. I'm really selfish because I gave them the one missing piece that they were they were suffering for five years over. I'm really selfish because I gave that person a diet plan that they were searching for. Like, all right, I'm selfish, but I help them so, and I feel great, and they feel great. Everybody won. Hey there, how are you enjoying the show? I've got a quick message to share with you from our sponsor, and then I'll be right back. Are you an entrepreneur that does things differently? <laughs> Just like me. Maybe your business is untraditional or non-conventional. Your work uniquely you. Maybe you even see a little bit of you in me. The way you create and sell is going to look differently within the many seasons of your life as you grow. Developing balanced masculine and feminine energies in your brand allows for inevitable change over the years. The transitions happen flawlessly. Learn the strategy behind Go With The Flow and create the systems that allow you to live your dream life now because success isn't a thing you get, it's a feeling you can have today. Sign up for Build the Biz, my signature business course, teaching you the energetics of entrepreneurship at themadelineshow.com. Yeah, so how did we get to this point where both you and I are spending our times are spending our time doing things that are bringing us joy, but then also help other people? Like how did you get to the point of writing this last law of attraction book you'll ever need? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, again, think about the title, the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read. I mean, that is very bold. Um, and believe it or not, I mean, I'll, well, I'll say this. I'll give a, the quick version. I learned about law of attraction back in 2004. And um, it was a situation where just as a young entrepreneur, I was looking for like the quote unquote secret to 
happiness and success. And uh, law of attraction was like one modality of many, one of many, where I was like, okay, let's see if this works. And at that time, it felt very inconsistent. Sometimes I'd get a win, sometimes not so much. Sometimes everything was working on all cylinders. Sometimes it was, everything stalled. And I basically had this opinion, law of attraction is very unre unreliable and inconsistent, but I found out a couple years later that it was me who was being unreliable. And I had this really rough patch where I lost my business and girlfriend of three years all in the same week, where I quit the business in order to save a relationship, but then she broke up over text because it was too little too late. And I had to look in the mirror and say, okay, what am I doing? Because I've wasted my 20s. My life's going nowhere. Obviously, something has to change. And I had to look back. I'm like, well, that law of attraction thing kind of seemed to work whenever I didn't stop. So then I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I don't care what happens, when it happens, why it happens, how it happens. I'm going to go all in. And when I say all in, I don't mean all day, every day, because I knew enough about human nature and my nature to know that that was unsustainable. But what I was upset enough to do and I was um, determined enough to do is I can do five or 10 minutes of gratitude methods or visualization methods. And I can strategically modify the methods that I already knew or come up with new ones to make it way easier for me, the way my personality works, to actually follow through on that five minutes a day to which it's almost like a Hollywood movie. Two weeks later, I felt better. Three months later, I'm in a brand new way to healthier relationship. Four months later, I'm making more money than any point in my life before then. Six months later, everything's different. I'm happy and fulfilled in the best shape of my life. And I learned from my perspective, whatever we want to call this thing, we'll call it the law of attraction. It works when you work it. But it wasn't until 11 years later when I'm like, I want to do something new in my business. Is there some part of my life that I've not explored where to be candid, I won't be bored or impatient or frustrated interacting with my customers or questions. Oh, well, law of attraction, I haven't done that yet. But there's like a thousand books out there. So I had to challenge myself, not to just put out another, any other law of attraction book, but to bring something new to the equation, something new to the conversation, give someone something they've never seen before. So tying up this long story short, any law of attraction book worth its salt, you're gonna explain the law of attraction in a user-only way. Any law of attraction book, book worth salt, you're going to offer user-friendly manifesting methods. And I did those two things, but what I also did on top of that that I've never seen anyone else do is answer the question of why people learn about the law of attraction or anything, new workout plan, whatever it might be. They learn about this thing, they get excited, they start it, they start to get results, and they still stop. If I could answer that question and hold the mirror up to the reader and show them how to stop stopping and actually stick with something long enough to get a consistent result, it's not even me or the book teaching them, it's their own life experience. And that's kind of what motivated me and inspired me to write that book and hopefully ideally deliver that level of quality and content and solution for Law of Attraction readers. I was just about to take my mic and drop it, but I thought that would be a little intense. Seriously, though, like if that doesn't sell the book, <laughs> I don't know what does. Because that is, that's the ticket, right? It's not only are you, are you stopping doing something that should work, but you're stopping doing something that is working in your life. And why do we do that? Well, that is something that I've been <laughs> thinking about for a really long time. And it does take a mirror. Sometimes it's a partner. Sometimes that's a coach. Sometimes it's Andrew Kapp in his book, The Last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. Sorry that I forgot the to read at the end. Is there another The Last Law of Attraction book you'll no, ever need? Like... Is, is that why you added the to read at the end? <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's, notice how I snuck that in there without actually saying something. Yeah. You can see I'm on my like 200th interview here. But I also like, I'm not even upset. I fully acknowledge it's a long title. And by the way, and we can actually talk about book titles because even if people listening are not nonfiction authors, there's there's a lot of value here. There is um, a plus and a minus and a pro and a con. Like for me, that long title 
it means a couple things. It means the end of it might get chopped off. Although Amazon, you start typing it in, I've got the, I've done enough, I made enough sales that the algorithm is going to know me. But it's something where um, this actually brings up a really important point um, for anyone. Again, I'm going to speak to you as if you're a nonfiction author with something that serves people. But this is going to be a product or service just the same. This is a way, not the way. But you'll notice something about my titles. The last law of attraction book you'll ever, ever need to read. Three words I use to sell 100,000 books. What I've done with those books, ideally, is I've answered the question to the prospective reader of what's in it for me if I actually read this book. I've answered that question because I understand that they're going to be on Amazon looking at other books similar to mine, looking for a specific solution. And if I have a book that's, um, you know, it's unclear what the value is in the title or even the subtitle, people are not going to give it a second look. I've been very strategic because I think, and here's a, um, a little thing, a little insight. I think we might have mentioned this on our conversation our last time we spoke, Madeline. It's like I think a lot of authors, they don't even realize this about their own human nature. We're talking about being selfish. They want to look good to their friends and family regardless of how much money they make or how many sales they get at their book, meaning they are automatically, without even realizing it, more interested in a book title that sounds cool versus one that sounds useful. But if you have a book, a nonfiction book that shows someone how to do something, learn something, achieve something, or solve a problem or challenge in their lives, or you've got an info product or a coaching service or something else, it's more important to sound useful than cool because that's going to tell them what the benefit is, what's in it for them. If they actually move forward into the possibility of buying from you or working with you or whatever it might be. And it's a very valuable insight that people want to think about when they're thinking about the titles of their companies, their products, their services, their books, whatever they have to offer for people to get from them. Yeah, yeah, and that's a decision that you that you made and I, I think you you made it quite quite well and I actually you guys can't see this right now but we're recording this in this platform called Riverside and Andrew's name right now is youtube.com/andrewcap. So it's like, yeah, I know his name is Andrew Cap, but he's utilizing this real estate space so well, right? The opportunity right there to have his name. Well, why not put a link to something? And I noticed that on his TikTok, it's not Andrew Cap, it's andrewcap.com, D-O-T. I mean, I just, I ob I'm observing all sorts of things that you're doing, Andrew, all the time, and, and I'm learning from it. And so I see you, I see what you're doing here. And, and it's brilliant, because yeah, sure, you could have you could have your name, but it's, it's not about that. It's about driving people to something where they can get value. And then in the end, you're probably going to make some sales out of it, you're, maybe a referral, which then could exponentially mean more sales. But really, like you are putting so much intention into everything that you do for this business. And it's so impressive. Thank you so much. And and I just want to say, not that there's anything wrong with anybody that wants to be the star. For me personally, for my business, for my brand, the way it works, the YouTube channel, there's actually two stars in the YouTube channel, and I'm not one of them. The stars are the audience and my book. And, you know, anytime you see any of those YouTube videos I do, my book covers like is the size of my body on the screen. It's this huge blow up poster and I'm very unapologetic about it. I realize it is a little brash, but it fits in with the branding of a very bold title anyway. It's like, and you can see like, I'm not, um, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm a bit extroverted, but I'm not, I'm not like out there and I don't need to be out there in order to be consistent with this, with this large thing. I really view my audience and the book as the stars of that channel because that enables me to have the right mindset for serving the people best and ideally growing the channel best. 
because they're the star in the sense that I'm always talking to them directly into the camera. They're the star in the sense that sometimes people will email me questions and I will answer those questions while preserving the privacy of the specific person on YouTube because other people might have those same questions, teaching methods. They are the star. The book is the star. All the methods I teach, even new ones that aren't even in the book, are inspired by the book, are inspired by the content. Um, I appreciate the acknowledgement because I am very intentional about how uniform I am about this. By the way, realizing that my branding is not bulletproof. Like there, there are probably holes or gaps in what I do just you know, because it's, it's a lot to think about. But at the same token, I'm giving myself permission to be imperfect and build over time and do new things. Because you know, three months ago, the book cover for my new book wasn't there in the background, but now it is. And that's fine. And maybe another day there'll be another book cover. I'm just moving forward and seeing how rolling with the punches and making the best decision I can in the moment based on the awareness I want the reader or prospective customer to have of me. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if we're going to just like zoom through your life as an author here real quick, which is hard to do, but all right, let's see. So you started, you wrote this last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read in, in what span of time and then how much time in between that book and the new book? Yeah, and quick little disclaimer: I've I've synonymously written other books before this that have been failures. So I've I've you know I wasn't like this overnight success. I learned a lot of hard lessons that I brought into the marketing of these new books. Um, I wrote the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read over a span of nine and a half weeks. It's um, two hundred and eight pages, so it's you know it's 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 a lot for a condensed period of time. But I was like on point, like I was into it. I was very inspired. I made, I mocked up the cover myself and I came up with the title myself very early in the process. And every morning when I woke up, before I started writing a chapter, I would look at the cover on screen and almost like meditate on it and remind myself of like what I'm doing here because I didn't want it to be like just any, just another law of attraction book. Then, you know, over the course of two, two and a half years and selling all those tens of thousands of copies, um, I decided late last year when the book, when the Love Attraction book would have sold about like 70,000 copies at that point. And I'm like, you know what? I think people keep asking, I'm going to have to write a book. And if I'm tracking my math right here, I'm going to hit 100,000 by the summer. That, you know, and I'm not going to hit a million by then. And 90,000 doesn't sound really cool. Let me actually gear the book around that specific mm -hmm. number because that will capture attention. Because I don't want to, um, throw shade on anyone but there isn't someone else who like was pushing this idea of like i'm going to show you how to sell ten thousand books i'm like Haha, i'm going to do a hundred thousand just because it's an extra it's another level it's another tier and um it took me months to write that like i kind of started in probably in january and it came down to the wire i, I guess it wrote, took me like six or seven months to write it because that was something where because i was working so hard to market the law of attraction book and serve all the people and, and everything I would write a chapter for the three words book and then I would take like one or two weeks off because it was exhausting. And what I did not want to bring into the writing process was an apathetic, indifferent or tired or exhausted energy. Mm -hmm. So I would make a really good chapter and then I'd sit on what, you know, I'd kind of go on the bench and then I'd do another one and I'd really took my time. So obviously it took me a lot longer to do that. And not to toot my own horn, but I was very, very pleasantly surprised when I completed the book and I gave it a read through. And all these chapters, which were written so far apart, seamlessly flowed into one another so well and really helped deliver the message I wanted to and provide the content that I wanted to. Yeah. And you're not just writing the book. Like like you guys heard, Andrew, he doesn't expressly 
what's the word expressively said this but he did everything on his own he didn't work with a publishing company he freaking printed every single but like i mean i guess you're not print i don't think you're not like printing press printing it in your house right <laughs> i'm not print like so so you know there's working hard and working smart and the smart part is where i'm partnering you know with amazon so they do all the printing and fulfillment okay. because I know that I can and, and think, by the way, I want people to hear this. And this is kind of like the dumb moment that everyone knows anyway. But I want people to hear me articulate this out loud so that they know I'm thinking of this also. Amazon is a quality control, like guarantee, you know, for them, I mean, they're going to botch a couple of books, but it's going to be few and far, far between, you know, that people have Amazon Prime, so they can get their books delivered right away. You know, that Kindle's reliable, you know, that Audible is real, like, all these platforms, these are reliable pathways of distribution, not for me, I mean, yeah, make, to make my life easier, but to also know that the end user will have an easy, convenient way of consuming and enjoying the content. So I've thought about both ends of the spectrum. So yeah, Amazon's doing the printing because I know I can count on them for that. And yes, they're taking a piece of the pie, but I think it's a really worthy piece for the value that I'm getting. The fact that me and my reader, my end user, can count on a quality reliable experience yeah i mean you did you edit the book or did you use an editor i did something that i don't recommend anyone else do i was my own copy editor i i did everything myself in fact for three words it's so funny there's editing on screen when you know that that computer screen just like you know making you zone out and then there's like a hard copy um the, the um the paperback actually published to like a week early like june 27th I immediately ordered from Amazon because I wanted to make sure to, you know, just see what it's like when it prints out. And I read through the copy and I caught like over a hundred typos. I quickly fixed them. And by the way, another Amazon perk, I quickly re-uploaded so that by the time anyone else knew about the book, they had the clean version. But yeah, I copy edited myself, caught a lot of mistakes and it is what it is. Um, but fortunately, um, not to put a limit on myself or whatever, but people see themselves as either like the reading grammar guy or the math guy. Growing up, I was like, you know, the the reader grammar type of student. Oh, well, that's that's nice. So that maybe I'll have you copy edit my book. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We'll see. We'll see how, how how sane I can be. Like again, it's it's a it's a process. It's rough. Yeah, that's not. I mean, that whole task isn't something that I want to take on. But I also don't want to work with a publishing company. Um, and working with Amazon, does it feel like you're working with a publishing company, or does it feel like you're working with a distributor? Um, for me personally. Um, it would be, if anything, more like a distributor. I mean, they're, they don't advise me on anything. And I, so I know every entrepreneur listening is going to very much relate to this. I am a control freak. Like for me, I, I like that a publishing company, no offense to them, and you find one and work with them beautiful, they would never have let me put out my first book without my name on the cover. They would never let me be style, you know, make these, decisions, these creative decisions. Um, for me, like Amazon's basically a, a reliable hub, as is Audible, as is Apple Books for the audio version where I can put what I know based on their user-friendly instructions and my hard work and technical know-how of putting out that product right there and having it available in the right way for people. The cool thing about like KDP, which is Kindle Direct Publishing, mm -hmm. for me, you know, not to sell people on Amazon, do whatever you want to do, because um, there are cons also, which I can go into. For example, like I can't get my book into airplane stores because Amazon doesn't do that. Um, but the cool thing about like, you know, them with KDP is they'll give you like a template for the cover design where you take that and you know how to position the front cover, the back cover and the spine so that everything folds perfectly and actually looks very attractive to someone holding that hard copy in their hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So did you, for the design then, are you using Illustrator 
Or when you use KDP, is Uh-oh. it a separate software online that's Amazon specific? So I I design the cover like I download their PDF template or their PNG template, mm-hmm. but then I construct it on my own with that template, which is really just you know like square lines. Like put make sure the cover fits into this square, make sure the back cover fits in this square or this rectangle. Um, I well so. For the Law of Attraction book, I did everything in Photoshop. For the Three Words book, I did the concept design in Canva and then did the final version of that concept in Photoshop just because it, it let me do a few more things in a few more fonts. It was weird, not to say anything bad about Canva, but their Times New Roman didn't seem to hit the way I wanted Times New Roman to be, so I ended up finalizing it in Photoshop instead. But but that the thing about it is with, with KDP... They're leaving you like, you know, they're they're leaving you kind of like all the pieces, but you've still got to put the puzzle together yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to bring, you're going to have to, you know, you want the audiobook um, for Audible or whatever. You've got to record the audio files or add them or have someone do them for you. They don't do that for you. Although I do, as I do understand, they, there's a system in place where you can hire people to record it for you in there. But me being the control freak that I am, of course, I just recorded the audiobook myself because I didn't want to split commission either. <laughs> Oh my gosh. My mom's listening to this because she listens to all of my episodes. Thanks, mom. She told me, she's like, your voice is so good on the podcast. Why don't, why don't you start doing audiobook recordings? Like, because I don't want to record other people's audiobooks. I want to do my own thing. I want to be the star, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I thought that was really interesting. Like, you can, you can make money recording other people's audiobooks. You could have hired that out, but I love that you didn't. I love that you recorded your own. I think that's brilliant. Thank you. And um, it was very tedious, if I'm being honest, but that's that's me. Because Well, so here's the thing about it. Again, very consistent with a control freak. You know that recording is going to live forever. So, and notice how I say this, you are very careful about enunciating and making sure words are, said, are, are um, pronounced perfectly. And... It's very difficult, at least for me and my personality, like to, to like read down a page or read down the screen and go through that. You run out of steam fast. Um, there's actually like one of the chapters is like a 20 minute chapter. The original recording was 45 minutes. And I had to edit the ums and the flubs and the repeating sentences to get it down to where it sounds like it was just me reading all the way through, but it was really a hot mess that I edited to make it sound like it was one like one unique recording, but it was. It was challenging and, you know, fair warning to people, depending on your personality, you might not enjoy it, but your readers might appreciate hearing your own voice when you record your audiobook. Yeah, I always I always like hearing the actual author's voice. I get excited when I find out like, oh, and it was recorded by the author because they're going to have different inflection and especially if it's, you know, fiction and there's characters. Um, it's It's so nice to hear. Okay, so it took you longer, but not that long to write your second book. Um, Hmm. That process of marketing your first book, I'm assuming you're going to replicate some of the organic methods. You already shared Facebook with us. Um, should we talk about podcast interviews? We can, but but quick little heads up as we lean into this. I am admittedly not doing as good a job with the new book as the old one because, and and here's the thing to keep in mind, and then we'll, we'll talk about podcasting. I tell people in three words I use to sell 100,000 books. So you don't have to do everything that I do. Like you can only do a couple things if you want. But for me, because I'm doing it all myself and it takes so much bandwidth, there are certain things that I'm simply not going to do for the new book. So I am doing podcasting. Here we are having this conversation. There are no plans to start a YouTube channel devoted to it. 
and I'm probably going to do fewer podcast interviews because I have so much on my plate. So I am admittedly doing less, but I know kind of like what to do. And I'm still doing all these things for the original book. So I still take my own medicine. I still practice what I preach. With that said, getting to podcasting, um, I'm not sure if that was the first question you had or, or a certain direction you want to take, but I'm happy to um, give everything that I know on, on the on the matter. Oh, yeah. Let it rip. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Um, anyone doing podcasting, please expect to suck in the beginning. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to wish that you told a new story, like a story in a certain way. You're going to forget to give the link to your book. Or you're going to realize, hey, I probably should have made a link for my book before I went on this podcast. Like, they're going to make so many mistakes. And you know what? It's okay. It's a refinement process. And by the way, this is why in my recommendation, like, don't say no to interviews, even if the podcast is like three listeners. Those are the ones that you want to, like, cut your teeth on. And those are the ones that you want to, first of all, you never know when that podcast will blow up. So you're in the first three episodes that they've done. You're actually, you've made an investment. You've planted a seed that five years from now, you're going to be selling a lot more books because that person will be the next Joe Rogan and they're going to be listing the, like the top uh, podcast episodes in my, this is an opinion, hopefully an informed opinion, but the top podcast interviews that people for the most part listen to is the most recent one, the biggest celebrity and the first one, because like you're a fan, you're, you're like, you're just, you've, you've discovered it now, but it's like a 10 year old podcast. You know, you're going to be curious to go, kind of go to the beginning and then maybe you listen to the second or third episode. So there's a lot of value in getting with a new burgeoning, you know, podcast and maybe being there because worst case scenario, they'll ask you something that you weren't expecting, which inspires an explanation that you could then use for a podcast to follow. There are certain things that I do on my law of attraction interviews where I give explanations that are so refined, but I didn't come up with them like in preparation. They were a response to a question that a podcast host asked me. And I'm like, wow, they, they pulled that out of me. I'm going to hold on to that and have it ready in my back pocket when a similar thing is discussed on the next podcast. And there are certain stories I tell over and over and over and over again because that one person first asked me and inspired the response. All right. So can you tell us more about the process of so getting on people's podcasts, right? You've been on now, you said around 200. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've told me a little bit mm-hmm. about this just between our conversations, but I think it'd be cool for, for the audience to hear. So it's like, okay, you got to start doing podcast interviews. Great. You might suck at the beginning. Okay. But how do you even get to that point where you're utilizing now cold free leads like we had just talked about unless you're paying to be on the podcast it's they're cold leads because my audience has probably never heard of you before maybe a couple I don't know mm-hmm. um, they're they're free because you're on here yes your time and they're leads because they're listening to this based on the title which has your name in it and the topic of conversation mm-hmm. so just for clarity like you asking like what's a good way of getting onto a podcast? Yeah, that's what I was asking. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I think you said that, but um, my brain answers 20 questions at once, so sometimes I clarify. So there's, you know, there, there's more than one way of doing it. And, and by the way, you know, you mentioned paying to be on a podcast, which, you know, there's podcasts that do that. Although um, I've never done it personally because, um, I don't know, it just hasn't been like, I've never wanted to pay to be on a podcast because I think that that sets the tone wrong. But I have nothing against and I have done for myself paying a podcast booker who will pitch for you. So if you have the funds, if you have the money and you want to go down that road, potentially, 
Um, you know, there are people that actually they hire their services out that they will do the heavy lifting for you of pitching you and reaching out to contacts and things of that nature. And I've had a situation where I've booked myself and I've had situations where I've tried people to do that. So I, I know what both feel like. But on the assumption that you don't have that money to spend and you want to get yourself out there, there's a couple things you want to think about. And obviously this is I'm doing this from the context of like selling a book. But again, this could apply to anything, a product or service. Think about the value that you want to give to a specific audience. So if you teach sales and marketing, how many podcasts are there, big and small, devoted to sales and marketing? A lot. Hunt for them. Search them. Go on iTunes and, and, and search for them. And by the way, I think they have this feature where like they'll say podcasts like this one. So you find a good podcast and then you find ones that, that Apple has done the heavy lifting or Stitcher or Spotify. They've done the heavy lifting saying, well, here's other people in that niche as well. Find these podcasts, and you know that they're going to have websites. You know they're going to have booking links. You know they're going to have contact. They're going to have ways by which you can reach out and structure a pitch letter with the talking points and like w basically with the value that you have to give. Because keep in mind, it's not about you. You're not the star. And the podcast host can do stuff on their own. Like the their audience is the star. Like you want to explain in that pitch letter, making it about them, how you intend to provide value. And like, and by the way, have a one sheet. And for those people that don't know what one sheet is, one sheet basically is in one piece of paper, whether it's a PDF or an actual printout, basically laying out your entire value or unique value proposition in there. It'll include your bio, it includes talking points, it includes your credentials, whatever a podcast host or producer will need to make an informed decision about having you on. Be intentional about this. Think of it, it's like, it's kind of like a resume. You're not going for a job, but you're going for an interview. What can you say about yourself? Now, speaking a little more, because you can see that I, I like to talk a lot. Um, how can we be strategic about this? Find ways of giving like bullet points in your talking points that communicate what you're going to say, but leave the host curious enough to know more about it. Like, and, and Madeline, I don't know if you have my, my one sheet in front of you, but if you do, I mean, you can read one or two of the bullet points and, and we can actually talk like, Let's 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 break down what are these one or two things that we've said and how might this appeal? Not you didn't need my one sheet. You already made a decision on me because we had a conversation. But I gave it to you just because. By the way, me being trying to be a good guest, I always give my podcast hosts and producers any more than enough to what they need as a courtesy. I'm always I'm always doing what I can to get a value. But we could even break down if you want like a couple of those bullet points and the intentionality I had by the way that I phrased them. That would be awesome if my phone wasn't off because you texted it to me. Not in an email, but if if you have it available, um, I think I would have had this. And if actually, yeah, I know where it is. Um, okay, so one bullet point. And by the way, this is really I'm glad we're talking about this bullet point because this is something that I already explained in this, in this interview. The way I, I put the bullet point was a powerful free social media sales hack for getting your content in front of tons of strangers who would actually be interested in buying from you which is the thing that I answered with the Facebook thing. But notice how I did this. I didn't say it was Facebook in the bullet point. I just gave enough of a curiosity gap and enough of a benefit that a podcast host would ideally be like, whoa, what is this thing? Because I know, because I'm a sales and marketing or author or whatever podcast, I know they would love this. Mm -hmm. How about another thing here? A cover design secret for selling more books that anybody can do. And in parentheses, I say, apply this to any online product. Again, very curious, right? Why don't we answer that right now, Madeline? What is that thing that I'm talking about? Okay, this is another thing that I talk about in my book, Three Words I Used to Sell 100,000 Books. I call this 
the Amazon squint test. And what I mean by that is, again, when people are publishing something independently, and maybe they're designing the cover themselves, or maybe they're hiring someone to do it for them, because they subconsciously want that cover to impress everyone, they don't realize it, but they're subconsciously trying to impress themselves with the cover, which means they are only ever looking at the cover full screen, vibrant, in their face, and going, whoa, look at this thing. But have they looked at it really small, the way it's going to appear on Amazon amongst the other listed recommendation books and been able to determine that their audience will be able to read the title clearly and make an informed decision. I call it the Amazon squint test because if you have to squint for even one second to read what that title is, that cover is a failure because there's no point in even putting your title on the cover if people can't read it at that small at that small thing. And by the way, I said it applies to any product. This can apply to info products or anything that you might have on screen. Make sure that even at a small image, a small JPEG or whatever it might be, that people can read what it is that they are aware of it because otherwise, what is the point? When you solve that, you've done so many. You've It's an intangible. You don't know how many will actually convert but you've basically opened the door for so many people to discover your book or your product or your service or whatever in a much easier, more dynamic way. Mm -hmm. Same way when you know, you're doing thumbnails on YouTube. How's this gonna look in the smallest version? Are there words that look big when it's full screen? Will those words be clear to somebody when they're looking at the small version of the thumbnail when they're scrolling through YouTube on the side recommendations? <laughs> I think most of my marketing would not pass the Amazon squint test. And I feel like my mom has brought that up in a different way. Also. And mine didn't for a while. <laughs> it's all, like, all these and, photos. And, you know, it's, and... it's funny. It, it does hit mine didn't for a while. Yeah. It's interesting because when you, you're right, when you design stuff on Canva or Illustrator, or Photoshop, whatever it is, and you want to add all the details and the cool fonts and the pictures. Uh, yeah. You rarely ever see it small until you upload it as a thumbnail to YouTube. And you're just like, oh my gosh, all that time I spent because every little detail is more time. And then you're tweaking everything and you have all these layers you're working with and then it's done and it took you all this time. And now you're not going to go back and make it simple because there's that, what is, what is it like the time? wasted fallacy it's like this there's a sentence i'm not saying it right but well if i'm i forgot what it is like almost like a sunk sunk cost effect sunk or something it's like yeah, you put it. you poured so much energy into this thing you don't want to give up on it mm -hmm. and that's why a lot of people fail <laughs> <laughs> yes they 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 put some they put so much like I, i'll tell you something there's one book that i never published um it was called it was called graduate to greatness or something and it was basically it was when i was younger it was like you know how to like when, when you graduate college like how to get a good head start and i had written probably 60% of the book and i was not happy with it i just scrapped it because i i didn't want to waste more time and energy and the cover was really cool and there was there was it was like a good starting point and i'm never going to go back to it i don't care but if, if I had forced myself to put out, I would have cost myself a lot of valuable money that back then I really needed. Mm -hmm. I could not afford to, to overinvest any more than I did. And by the way, there's something that I learned from um, along these lines from a marketer called Eben Pagan. And I don't know if he, came, if he coined the term or if he just communicated it, but he calls it wanting attacks. And this applies to everything. This applies to when you've been on like three dates with somebody and you don't want to break up with them because like, You've worked like, you know, it's, you know, it's wrong, but you're just like, oh, I don't know. Or you've put two years into a business or this deal sounds really good, even though your gut's telling you no, like there's a wanting attacks when you want something too much, when you're not willing to walk away from a negotiation, 
And by the way, I've been there and I'm still there certain times. Like I, at least I know about it myself, but when you like, you never want to pay that wanting attacks or at least be willing to like, honestly tell yourself that you can afford the wanting attacks because it is always there waiting for you. And it will be very insidious in how it affects your decision in your life, in your business, in your relationships and your health and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking mainly about entrepreneurship, but you're right in, in terms of relationships. Um, the wanting it tax. Is that the wanting yeah. it tax? And by the way, Madeline, I was very intentional about saying relationship. I'm a huge proponent and a huge fan of taking something outside of business or outside the topic that people have crystallized in their mind and using that as the contextual point of reference because it clicks better. Like that's yeah. a huge thing I do in my Law of Attraction book. This is this is for the reader experience. It's another thing. Like as as an author, I'm very in tune with the reader experience. What can I do to make sure this content lands? One of my tricks is taking something that people can associate in the real world that they already have a full understanding and link my new concept to and, and explain it in that context because then it makes so much more sense so much more quickly and builds such a stronger foundation for me to stack all of my new information on top of. Mm. Have you ever heard of permaculture? Um, the, the terms rings a bell, but I don't, don't know what it specifically is. Yeah. Um, well, permaculture, <laughs> this might seem random, you guys, I've never heard of permaculture, but what you're saying is like a systems thinking mindset, which permaculture, you might think of it in terms of agriculture at first, like growing your corns, corn beans and squash together because they all work really well together and growing. Um, the beans grow up the corn, the squash provides uh, ground cover and shade. And then uh, I believe it's the, the corn one gives one gives the other nitrogen, maybe the beans give the corn nitrogen that it really needs to grow. And so you have these things that are all synchronistic and you can create entire can create entire food systems with uh, these permaculture ethics and principles. Well, guess what? You can take those ethics and principles and apply them to the economic mm -hmm. system, the education system. Uh, it, it's fascinating. And it's it's a bit how my brain works as well, either because I've trained it that way. Cause my, that was my honors thesis was taking permaculture principles and applying it to social systems. Or that's just how my brain works because it's not neurotypical. Um, but I think it's what you're saying is really it's grounded in permaculture and I think, I think you would love it. So it's spelled P P E R perm yeah. M A C U L T U R E. That could be a nice fun rabbit hole for you to go down. Thank you. And, and by the way, Madeline, just to go even deeper on that one thing, I love what you said about, you know, the corn and the beans. Mm -hmm. That's technically what I did um, in my marketing strategy that I art articulate in my new book, because what I'm hearing from you, if I'm understanding it right, these are things that can be synergistic, they can support one another, but they are simultaneously independent, meaning the corn doesn't need the beans, they could be grown separately, just the way my YouTube thing could be on its own, just the way the Facebook thing can be on its own, just the way the Amazon squint test does its own thing, but also by that same point, just the way YouTube can get new people to check out the book, who then opt into the bonuses, who then get the emails, who then get the program, who then get other emails, who recommend other people for YouTube, meaning these can be independent things, but they can also support one another. They can simultaneously do both, and I was very intentional about doing that, knowing that I didn't want to burn out. How can I make all these different moving pieces and these moving parts be good in a way that if I can't keep juggling all these balls at once, they're at least the ones that I can are going to keep doing their thing and they're still going to be having a little extra leverage with each other. Yeah, man. So in, in terms of that, all the moving pieces, it, do you have in your head like, okay, these five things are going to all work synergistically together, but I'm going to stack them one at a time? Or do you stack them one at a time and then realize, wow, I stacked this in a way that they all work together? 
it, for me, it's a building process, meaning in the beginning, I just have the book. Okay, let's add Facebook to that. Okay, let's add YouTube. But as I'm adding these things, I have an intimate, deep understanding of what's working for the things prior, and I find a way to marry them in a, in a more har, har, um, harmonic, that's the word, like harmonic way. Like there's, there's got to be more, more harmony to it. So like, for example, when I started the YouTube channel, um, it, was, it was funny. I already had an, enough subscribers to um, get the Andrew Cap username. You had to have like 100 without even uploading a real video because I had so many, um, I, I, I posted like well, he, a 10 second clip of here's what the introduction is going to look like. But I had enough people who knew about the book clicking on that and just subscribing for, for the sake of it that, that that was there. Okay. Well, what I also had before I officially started a YouTube channel was I had a bunch of Amazon five-star reviews. Okay, I am going to be very intentional about using these reviews and thanking people in my, my YouTube videos. So now, not only is my YouTube video offering me an opportunity to thank the people that reviewed it and give them recognition, but it's also simultaneously serving as a way of telling new people to the channel that don't know about the book, like, hey, people really like this book. Here's a five-star review. So every time I'm adding something new, I'm looking, what do I have already that I can synergistically incorporate and marry to it in a way that, again, they'll never need each other, but they can very easily and seamlessly support one another. Yeah, and that, that aids in, in the no burnout, right? That's why you're still here. You have another book and all your systems are still working. In fact, working well enough that you've decided you don't need to continue all of them for this new book and you're going to focus on what really brings you the most joy, I'm assuming. Yeah, pretty, pretty, and you know, it's also just a recognition of like, I mean, I'd, I'd like to do everything for the new book as well, but again, I know myself well enough and I'm sure entrepreneurs really hearing this can, can relate. I've burned out often enough to know what not to do. And one thing is, you know, I love, I really love this new book. I am, I am so proud of it, but I really love the Law of Attraction book. And like for me, I never want to, I never want to stop doing what I'm doing for it because it, it is like, you know, it is the book. Like, you know, if like you think about those bands and they have like, everyone loves their albums, but like, what's the album? Like, that Law of Attraction book, like that's the album or that's the hit single. That's the, that's the song. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for it and so into it still. If I can do the new things for the book while still doing that, fine. But I'm never going to give mm -hmm. up what I'm doing for the Law of Attraction book in order to do anything new. As it is, I sacrificed enough time and energy writing the new book because I was into it. But, you know, that time, the book is out. It's completed. It was a tedious process. Now I really am still going to be double down, doubling down on the Law of Attraction stuff, even as I record these kinds of interviews that more promote the, the Three Words book. Honestly, I think it promotes both really well, and that just happened organically. And you're really only in this position to do this because you had all these, let's just talk about failures for a second as an entrepreneur. You didn't hold on to the failure. You let it go. Like, whatever. Used a different word. Failure, lesson challenge you overcame like there's going to be as an entrepreneur so many things that you do that don't work and when you see yourself hitting your head against the wall over and over again it's a sign to 
to stop. It's not a sign to keep going. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that like you'll never have any creative energy ever again. What it means is you are a creative individual. You have so many ideas coming at you all the time just because you spent so many years working on this one project and it's helped so many people and maybe it's even still actively making you money. If you don't love it or if the same problem keeps arising in your life over and over, sit down and ask yourself, okay, I'm clearly sick of these problems. Universe, God, source, please give me my new problem, my new greatest challenge that can help me grow to become the person that can then handle my bigger, greater problems. We are always going to have problems. It's not like your failures go away after you let go of the first few, but what you want is to grow to be this person that can handle more. So it feels like less. Did that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And by the way, I, I don't want anyone assuming that I am still not failing. There, there's, there's a number, there's a number of, of experiments. Like here I say, like, you know, I sold over 100,000 books, 95% of which I can attribute to organic versus paid, which, by the way, now, even though it's only 90%, I've, since I sold way, well over 100,000 books, I've sold 100,000 just on, on organic alone. But as I'm doing that, I'm experimenting. I'm dropping $1,400 on an Instagram account to promote the book to see if it goes anywhere and watching it move the needle by one book. You know, like, okay, who wants to pay $1,400 to have someone buy a, you know, a, 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 um, you know, a $17 paperback or a $4 Kindle book or whatever it might be? I have failed a lot even after this process, giving myself the room and the space to experiment to determine of, okay, is this something that will move the book forward? So... There's go even after you succeed, there's going to be a lot of failure, and you know you're not going to want to gripe about it. I don't make big, I, you know, no offense to those people like social media, like oh look, I have problems too. Look, you know, I don't want to put my problem on a pedestal, but I do want to acknowledge that there's still you know there's still challenges, they're still there every single day. But I am doing what I can, knowing that I'm imperfect, to learn what I can in the moment, to apply what I can, to get as much leverage out of these problems as possible. And to make as many wins as possible because no one likes losing. The only thing you can do strategically is get as much of a win out of it after the fact as you can simply because it's either that or losing more. I choose personally to try to win instead and see where I can take that. Yeah, and that's a mindset. That's a mindset shift at least that you have to make. It's you. There's going to be problems in your life. And even if you're at your lowest lows, like you can decide whether or not it's going to be a lesson or a burden. Yeah. And you're going to, you're always going to have stressful weeks. Like for me, the last week and the week before, the past two weeks up until today, today's better. But there was a lot of things that I can't even go into just business, just trying to, is this going to work? Is this going to happen? Money's on the line. Um, a lot of stress, but you know, it's fine. Like that is, that is part of the game. It, it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, it, it's part of the game. It is what it is. Yeah. For those of you listening that aren't entrepreneurs, I mean, it. <laughs> We don't choose this to have a less stressful life. You might think you're choosing entrepreneurship so you can like have time, money, freedom or whatever, but it turn I mean, it very, very quickly turns into a 24 seven gig. You're dreaming about your business problems. You wake up and your throat is just like clenched. I mean, it's, it's your, your life and it's your baby. And then there's this process of separation. Like, okay, wow. Now I actually want, how can I turn my entrepreneurship into a nine to five? That would be cool. Right. <laughs> if I only had to work 40 hours a week. And then from there, maybe you read Tim Ferriss, you're like, oh, how can I turn it into a four hour a week job? 
but like maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want to still, if you if you love what you're doing so much and you haven't fully created, you know, your product as a passive entity, um, you still want to be involved in your business. So if for those of you that are interested in entrepreneurship, I always say it's the personal development journey of a lifetime. It's the thing that's going to show you your greatest fears. I mean, you're going to have to pick yourself. You're going to be the only one picking yourself back up when you fall. You're going to drop $1,400 on marketing that sells you one book. Um, or I, there's like a million other examples I could come up with, but that's, that's the game. And, and it's fun. And if you're committed to personal development and learning and refining like who you are and what you love and what you're here to do, I highly recommend doing it. Anyone listening to this that feels that call, that pull to do something, something bigger than them, some something great. If you feel like you're meant for more, get into business. You are in business before you make a sale. It's not like, it's not a chicken before the egg thing. It's you have to believe in yourself before anyone else does. You have to take the first step. And the first step doesn't always mean a sale. Sometimes it does. Definitely sometimes it does. One of my businesses... I hadn't even started the LLC yet and someone wrote me a check for two grand. I was like, well, I guess I need an LLC so I can go open a freaking business bank account to deposit this check. Like, okay, I just started a different LLC the week before. I'm like, all right, we're, we're doing this. We're doing this entrepreneurship thing. And it's, it's a journey and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like there's nothing, I'm not saying that there's not stress in a, in a nine to five. Um, but you're, you're going to find the problems here. You're going to have the problems where you are now. So I just want you to get really clear on like, are you happy where you're at? Do you feel like you're meant for more? If you are make the jump, do, do what your heart is calling you to do, please. (laughs) That's my soapbox. Love that. If I could add one thing, Madeline, um, Part of the reason that it took me 11 years to write the Law of Attraction book, which I'm glad it did because it helped me learn a, a number of things before making that leap that I think helped me, but there was an awareness that there's people in my life that would have viewed as as hooky or silly. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. But it got to a point where I'm like, you know what? None of these people are paying my bills. Last I checked. Last I checked, none of these people are paying my bills. Last I checked, none of these people care if I sell a single book. Last I checked, you know, there was, there's, there's one person in particular that I still think of sometimes. Very cynical person, especially when I'm, I'm, I'm doing like a YouTube video and trying something silly. You can go back to my older videos where I gave myself more permission to be silly and just experiment. And I'm like, wow, this person who I'm thinking of would think this is really stupid. You know what? I'm going to amp up the cheese factor by 10. Like, in once, whenever I think that this person sees them stupid, I actually would amplify it out of spite because I refuse to let it stop me from doing something. So I, I want to bring that out because I think there's certain people out there who are even they're bold enough and they're brave enough to go down a certain entrepreneurial journey, but they're choosing a path that feels safe from a reputational standpoint of what friends or family will think of them, but they don't love it, which means they can't, it won't sustain them through the tough times. So I'm not going to tell anyone what to do. I'm only going to suggest that it is possible that there's something that you know you want to do, but you're holding back on. You're not giving yourself permission. There's imposter syndrome simply because you're worried about looking bad. Um, not that I want to oversell my YouTube channel, Go to youtube.com slash Andrew Cap and watch the early videos and watch how awkward I am. I leave those videos up because I still think there's value in the content. Even though I think I came across horribly on camera, 
I was uncomfortable. I was getting used to it. For the first three or four videos, I even scripted and I read off the teleprompter because I wasn't confident that I could remember everything I wanted to say. Because I'm used to writing, writing books where I can edit everything for months before even putting it out there. So just understand like, there's no perfection here, but please don't let what you think others are going to think about you stop you from taking a move, making a move that you want to make. Be smart about it, obviously, but don't let that be the thing that holds you back. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. I mean, this is such a great place, too, to wrap up the conversation. And, like, just so you guys know, my hands are literally sweating right now. Like, this isn't the easiest thing in the world for me to do. But I continue to do it, and I'm good at it, and I'm going to keep doing it. And that doesn't mean that I'm not still going to be, like, nervous setting up my mic and, like, making sure my background is okay and dealing with like we had to start recording this actually twice and like my hands are literally sweating they don't sweat unless I'm nervous and I don't let that stop me so I hope that you guys hey, yeah Madeline can I give a quick backstage little insight to everyone yeah right now? yeah yeah and um <laughs> and it, you, you could edit this out if you don't like it which even I'm even the words me saying you could edit this out if you don't like it um as we're interviewing here um our internets are operating differently there were parts of this conversation where I can't speak for Madeline, but I know I didn't hear every last word she said, but you probably don't notice that. You might have noticed a slight delay because we're hearing each other and the internet's a lag, but it comes off as seamless because I heard enough and I was intent enough and I just pushed through as I'm sure Madeline has been an absolute pro in pushing through if my internet paused on things. So even with like, you don't even realize sometimes that the entrepreneur out there is, is, dealing with any normal stuff and then just pushing through and making it work. Mm-hmm. And I hope that would inspire people to always know, like nothing's ever going to be perfect, but I, this is such a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad I, I've had it. And I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah. And I haven't even been able to see Andrew's face for the majority of this. And normally when we, wow. yeah, and, but you guys are going to see in the YouTube video, hopefully this all works out. Um, I'm using this <laughs> platform called Riverside. And so it, rec- it records both of our video and audio um, on separate Chrome browsers. And then it compiles them, unlike Zoom, with two different clips. So I can go and I can edit each person's audio individually. Um, but yeah, so these are just the types of things kind of like right rolling with the punches, going with the flow. I've had a couple interviews, you guys, that they, they totally flopped because of the software. Um, I think at one point I was recording something with uh, a tornado and so that one failed. And then my first one failed, like it actually didn't spit out a finished product at me and I, which I still have to, well, I don't edit, Chris edits those. Um, but we still have to edit them and then upload them. And like, there's hours of work after just this one interview. And that's my choice. It doesn't have to be that way. I could be recording. I could be streaming this live actually to YouTube right now. Um, I could upload it to Spotify immediately after, but it's my choice to like put that extra, the branding and I add commercials and all of that in, which you guys already know, but I love that we're talking about like the raw behind the scenes now of what it's like. There's always going to be challenges. So what challenges do you want to deal with? Do you want to deal with trying to figure out how to get your workout in and um, eat well while you're going to your nine to five? Or do you want to deal with challenges like I'm dealing with right now with software and all the different, all the different softwares that I'm enrolled in, in, in this business? There's so many moving parts and I would much rather deal with those problems than the problems that come with, you know, the corporate job that I had for three months. I mean, I guess it wasn't that long, but then I was a waitress for a while. I don't know. You guys don't know my whole story. Only, only some of you that actually know me. So we're, we're well overdue for, for an episode on that. But I I really want to leave you guys with like this inspiration around doing what you 
are here to do. And don't get down on yourself if you're like, oh my gosh, I've had this feeling inside of me that I needed to do something and it's too late now, right? We already talked about sunk cost fallacy. It's the time is now. The time is always now. And you got to even remember that as an entrepreneur when you're constantly thinking about things 10 years in the future, the time is still now. And when that future comes, it's also going to be now. So for me and what I preach and what I teach in my program, Build the Biz, which you guys, if you're listening to all these, I've heard the commercial now like 10 times, is to build the business that supports your dream life. So that means don't hustle your way to freedom. No one's ever hustled their way to freedom. The people that do that, maybe your Wall Street people that they retire early, like around 40, well, guess what? They just hustled their way through not having any relationships, not eating very well, and now finally they're 40 and they're finding themselves for the first time. How about you figure it out along the way? Be in flow. Be intentional. Bring your meditation practice, your workout, whatever it is into your now. Don't wait to hustle yourself to a point where now you have all this time and energy to do what it is you want because it rarely works out that way. When you, I call it building yourself a golden prison. When you hustle your way to live a life that you want to live in the future, but you're going to sacrifice everything to get that in the future, you're going to end up building yourself a life that you despise, that you resent, that you're now locked into because there's some success or now a bunch of people are relying on you because you built a company Whatever it is, you can have your dream life now. And I mean that. I truly do. Figure out what you want and start doing it. Close your eyes and visualize. Maybe you see yourself in red lipstick and a white t-shirt. Well, guess what? You can do that now. Maybe you don't get the Louis Vuitton shoes or whatever it is, but you can start embodying these bits of you now. Maybe it's a workout routine. Maybe it's eating a different way. Maybe it's surrounding yourself with a different type of person. Maybe it's even talking to yourself a little bit nicer in the privacy of your own mind. That life you think you want that you can't have, I'm just calling bullshit on that. You can get most of that now. And then you can build the rest of it with intention by embodying who you desire to become right here, right now in the present. Well said. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Couldn't put it in bear myself. <laughs> I love it. You got any closing remarks for us? Um, obviously, I'll put your links in the show notes. Yeah. Well, just... just um an expression of gratitude to you for, for inviting me on Madeline and to your audience for listening and to whatever things they're doing, you know, whatever moves they're making gratitude for them to moving forward in whatever they want and whatever works for them. And, um, you know, thanks in advance. Anyone that checks out the books, um, you'll put the links in the description, but an easy link is awesome. Marvelous.com just because that'll give very easy links to everything they might have of interest based on what we spoke about today, free or paid. So there's free stuff there too. Right on. Well, I still feel like our conversation just barely scratched the surface of your your deep well of knowledge and so many things. So I'm just I'm just excited to continue the conversation with you and yeah, to have you a part of this show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Madeline. I really appreciate it. Hey, loyal listener, please rate and review this podcast. Your feedback is needed and you matter. It would be an honor if you shared this with a friend. Send this episode to whoever pops into your mind first. It's like a little exercise on intuition. And trust that that insight is the hand of God working through you to make someone else's life better today. Visit themadelineshow.com to stay up to date on my free trainings and different offerings, including self-paced online programs that activate your mind and enhance your life. Who knows, maybe you'll find something today that completely changes your tomorrow.